to Countercast. My name's Cat Boyd. This is David Jameson. <laughs> How's it going? Slow on the draw as always. Um, Me, I mean. No, but also my patter's pretty rusty because it has been some weeks since we got together to do a recording of the pod. Indeed, indeed it has, yeah. I think it's just work. We've got two jobs, I've worked full time. Indeed, and we're, we're recording this late at night. Yeah, it is actually late at night. It's been a long day for me, which is why I look and sound a bit uh, bedraggled by the world. Was through in Edinburgh today for the first time since the 1st of March. Mm-hmm. I, um, I've had a long day as well. I haven't had dinner yet, partly because I wanted to stay skinny and beautiful for this podcast. You can't pod on a full stomach. No, because then you're in the food coma. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I did go out for a delicious Vietnamese meal. Mm. (laughs) Funny considering our conversation earlier (laughs) about your experience of toilets in Vietnam. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Traveller, the one thing you need to know about Vietnam is, uh, well, we were talking about Alan Partridge, who has a podcast out, His, uh, his, his toilet technique. For not touching anything yeah, in a public toilet. Yeah, which I used today on the ScotRail uh, Glasgow to Edinburgh train, uh-huh. where I used the passenger toilets without touching any surface, simply using a effective and sophisticated combination of elbows and feet whilst the train was moving and in high heels. Um, you know, like real, like, elbow the button, lift the lid up with your foot, hover <laughs> the works yeah, yeah yeah i mean i've been perfecting that stuff for years i haven't touched the door handle in a very long time <laughs> <laughs> of any kind not just to a public toilet like i don't touch door handles in my own flat um so yeah is that I'm, true i'm not sure to be honest that I, I i i say that but i think it's probably more when i'm out and about i mean one thing i do do a lot is i have a pocket handy so you'll often see me turning the door handle with it. I have witnessed pocket. that. I thought yeah. you were just lazy. You're probably taking my hand out my pockets. Yeah. Um, no, I, I mean, I usually use a sleeve or a pocket uh, to open the yeah. door. I'm I mean, now that, now, that, <laughs> now that the virus is very much with us and possibly with us for the long term, I am a fan of the long sleeve. The long sleeve to cover right down over your hand, then you simply are able to turn the door handle or push the door. Also, like I'm a bit of a fan of the old shoulder into the door. Yeah. So this is why I'm glad that summer will soon be behind us because I've been going out in short sleeves, right? And the door to my close, there's a little turny thing. I mean, you can't just do it. I'll let you go full on turn and pull, right? But that, that is like the most anti-social distancing measure because everyone's touching that. Yeah, you know do you I mean? not, what about, uh, the other thing I do now is I carry a hanky, a packet of hankies like in my pocket. Yeah. And whenever I come across a situation such as the one that you've outlined, especially if I'm using like the toilet in a restaurant or something, do you know what I mean? And it's got like a fidgety lock, then I will use a hanky which i can then safely dispose of later yeah yeah 
and, and wrap it inside out so it's not touching anything else. Exactly. Because then you've got to start thinking about cross-contamination. Totally, totally. Like, what you don't want to do is just spread the germs around. Yeah, yeah. yeah. got to yeah, be very absolutely. careful. Yeah. Um, anyway, so uh, we're back in local lockdown. Yeah. Uh, so-called. It was good while it lasted. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and uh, local lockdown in Glasgow means that you can meet as many people as you want so long as you're spending money while you're doing it. Um, COVID-19, one of the interesting features about the virus is that it doesn't spread in areas where people are exchanging money for goods and services. Well, this um, is what I find particularly interesting about the coronavirus is that as long as you are paying to be somewhere, it won't get you. Um, yeah. Or as long as you're being maybe exploited at work, then you can't catch coronavirus. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's at its most dangerous when you're spending the least money. If, for example, you're in your own house, uh, that's when you're very... With your like, friends and family. Like, that's when you're actually very much in danger. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, a few days after the Glasgow local lockdown was announced... Uh, there were uh, restrictions newly lifted on nightclubs um, because there's no way in which in a nightclub, uh, you know, the virus could spread. Sort of. I mean... <laughs> this is the thing about, yeah, bars. <laughs> yeah, so the plan uh, for nightclubs, as I understand it, now I would definitely put nightclubs up there with things I miss. Like I miss being in the dark, having like been surrounded by noise like dancing like I do miss that like really immersive experience but as I understand it the plan for reopening nightclubs is to turn them into pubs Mm. thus they are not nightclubs also they will have the lights on now having had the very unfortunate experience of witnessing nightclubs in my hospitality days with the lights on that is a sight that, frankly, no one wants to see. It's like, it's the hospitality or entertainment industry equivalent of in American crime shows. You know, when they go into a room with like the big glow light to detect blood and semen? Yeah. In a nightclub in Glasgow, all you need to do is just turn the fucking lights on. Yeah, yeah. Like, this is not an experience that anybody wants to enjoy. It's been a lot, it's probably been a, 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 a number of years since I've been in a nightclub, but I always remember that point at the end of the night when they turn the lights on and you can suddenly see the destruction uh, and the sort of bewildered people blinking, uh, <laughs> looking a bit tragic, hunting around for, for someone to, you know, shack up with. Or their jacket. Yeah. Uh, Whilst their jaw goes in one direction and their body in another. Yeah. That's a classic look. Um, awful. Uh, so, so, that, so that is going to be a, a, a new kind of yeah, drinking experience. Uh, you're just going to sit at the bar in a nightclub with the lights on in a big empty hall uh, drinking, drinking a pint that costs like eight quid or something. A wee bottle of beer that costs eight quid. I don't, I don't see it. But in any case, this has been done at the behest of the kind of nightclubs lobby uh, in Glasgow at precisely the same time when 
Uh, we're not allowed to be engaging in this sort of famous Roman orgies we were all doing. This is the other thing that's emerged. It's all been spread by these kind of super spreader parties well, that I'll, everyone I'm, in Glasgow oh, is yeah. having. Everyone in Glasgow has been having house parties. I will tell you, it has been mayhem in Mass Street. There has been a house party every night and thousands of people up and down the street, music blaring. I mean, nothing of the sort. Not a fucking whisper. No, oh, no. I've not, I've not heard. All I can hear is like seagulls. Like that's it. Just seagulls. Seagulls are taking over. You like this is. I mean, we both live in tenement flats, right? You can hear at night uh, a party in a tenement flat in the whole street. I don't know. I don't know what yeah. it is about the about the construction of tenement because they're all conjoined. You can hear one a flat over. Um, yeah, I mean, if you're on the same block as a flat that's having a party, you will hear it because mm. all the flats are actually were originally joined together. Did you know this? So see where the wall press is. And the book cupboard. Thing. Yeah, the little Like that cupboard. was actually for construction workers to be able to walk through the whole block without having to go like downstairs along up and yeah. Yeah, yeah. Makes so sense. I mean you can also people open the windows because folk are smoking and it just like the noise just echoes about, doesn't it? Yeah. So I uh, it's I think it's fucking bollocks. Um the seagulls have taken over in the absence of you know, during, during when when lockdown actually meant that, and there was no one in the streets, right? Which is a fucking mad thing to remember. I remember you could walk up on your one a day walk up to the top of the hill at Queens Park behind me, and the city was silent. Like that 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 sound of the cars in the background was nothing. Yeah, um, that was a very strange uh, moment. Um, but during that time, the seagulls took over. But a very strange new society has arrived to see seagull kind uh, because i kind of thought when i imagined why are they so big why are they so why are they so aggressive right um i've heard lots of reports of people being attacked by seagulls and i thought well they're they're attacking you for food right because they're starving but then they're fucking massive and they're aggressive so what's happened i think i know what's happened i think that the, the 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 when lockdown happened, all the chips and the alcopops and the crisps and the shit they were living on, right, evaporated, and this precipitated like a Malthusian catastrophe, right, in the seagull population. The weak were you know started to die off, and were eaten by the alpha seagulls, and so as we emerge from lockdown. Uh, we confront a new kind of super cannibal gull. Uh, and, and this is what's causing all the, the gull-related problems. That's my theory. I think that it's as good a theory as you can't catch coronavirus in a nightclub, pub, or workplace. It's as good a theory as that. Yeah. Um, we, we've got uh, another wildlife problem on wildlife hour with cat boyd and we've got a infestation of squirrels Mm. squirrels everywhere can he move for squirrels they're everywhere how's that why is that happened i don't know like i think it might be you know the during lockdown when people would go their one hour walk they'd often go to the park or down to the river where there are a lot of squirrels but maybe feed them do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. as a bit of light entertainment. 
I mean, back in those dark lockdown days, there wasn't really anything to do apart from Zoom and take part in like quizzes on Zoom. I remember that was the fad for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, so in order to get some relief from the Zoom quiz, doom, um, I think people maybe like thought they'd, you know, throw some crisps to the squirrels. Now they are everywhere. Hmm, interesting. There's also a superabundance of rats in, in Queen's Park. <laughs> Huge rats. Uh, you sure they're not just squirrels? <laughs> they could be the cannibal squirrels, sort of degenerated. It um, could be. So, yeah, I, no, but I genuinely do think, well, I say wildlife, the vermin life of Glasgow <laughs> has changed. <laughs> like, the things that are feeding off us have been impacted by the I mean, that is the, that's the very ecosystem of a city, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, all these kind of various species of parasite that we've developed um, around it. So around the, the lockdown... Habits. That we have right now so we've got local lockdowns and got glasgow west and bartonshire which i think is like fourth worst for corona in the uk right now mm-hmm. um renfrewshire eastern bartonshire where else is there i'm sure there's other places <sighs> yeah i think i think most of these cases and it is about is, is it around about 100 cases i know I think is the other one. Yeah, it's sort of the greater Glasgow area. Um, well, I, I, I'd be interested in why that is. I mean, it might be a slightly older population or something. I'm not sure. But well, I case, think that part of it's to do with jobs as well. Do you know what I mean? Like, and also that th- that type of local lockdown where you can only really spend time with people outside of your in like household beyond like a a partner and an extended household is to go to a pub or a restaurant or somewhere where you're spending money like in areas where there are like more people in poverty like I mean what are people going to do they're not going to go to a restaurant when it opens they're going to have pals around do you know what I mean Mm -hmm. it's a it's a way to like do I mean see your friends have money like enough to go around do you know I mean get food or whatever do you know what I mean I think that that's what people do um so to ban that and say you can only socialize with people if you are essentially paying for it um it's it's a class thing In yeah Western Bartonshire for example mm-hmm. yeah uh, I, I, yeah yeah uh... I, I, it's kind of what I assumed, um, but it's, I don't know, it's a mad situation because in the middle of all this, like everyone once again has forgotten about the economy, um, which, because, I mean, the wider context to this is that in England, cases are really sharply increasing yeah. again. Yeah. Um, like the lack of stability in the economy and the sort of precariousness of the situation is just wreaking havoc. It's really strange. Like the last few weeks we've had the times insist people get back into their much valued commute and all this kind of stuff, right? And right at that moment, there's another upsurge in the virus. Like it's a it's, it's so strange that that is still that whole debate is being suspended in the background. The economy is a mess. 
<laughs> this is, is I think, like, what this the pandemic exposes is the precariousness of our mode of production like our current economic system cannot emerge from this crisis like until there's a cure like and but what this proves is that capitalism is deeply unstable and unsustainable because the two choices right now that you have are that you either a lock down the economy again right try and hold it down pause it you're not trying to move money right everything is like hold it right close everything people work from home there's no money circulating in the economy which has already caused the the recession that we're in you know there's projections of 300,000 people in Scotland being unemployed far low as ending all of that that's a disaster or you choose the other option which is some people are going to get sick, some people are going to die. And this is from like a kind of capital interest point of view. These are your two options, either lockdown or we have to keep the economy going, everybody back to work, back on the commute, make sure those five pret-a-manger's on your way to the office don't go out of business. But then the, the <laughs> least half, if not more, of your workforce. And like, I think of like, the workforce as the goose that lays the golden egg. Like it is the workforce that is producing the wealth that makes the economy go round. Half, at least of them, if not more, are going to get sick. So how do you, how do you run an economy when your workforce is ill? And some of them very, very ill. Like it's uh, just not possible. I think the wider fear as well is that, um, you know, the, the herd immunity argument is a real thing, right? Could society, could capitalist society um, accept uh, a, a minority of its population becoming very sick or, or dying off and, and, and explain that away? Possibly. But I think that there's a deeper fear, which is that, see, if there was a really sudden spike in cases because you just said, oh, fuck this, send everyone back to work to save the economy, you might find that they create, it would create like a public panic. And people would just, even millions of people who couldn't need to, would refuse to participate anyway. I think that is also a major fear. I think it's like they are conscious of needing mass, um, uh, you know, mass pu public acceptance of the general programme of the pandemic moment, basically. I think they're afraid of damaging that, especially because they need that kind of public consent over a longer period. Let's say a vaccine is found for the virus next spring, say, right? Because it was supposed to happen, like, no, <laughs> and it hasn't, right? Let's say it happens next spring. That's the end of nothing, right? I mean, that's, we're then into years of economic pain. Um, so I, I suspect that there are calculations about public psychology being made as well. But yes, definitely, like, how just fucking... I, I also, it also makes me as a, I'm not learned enough to know the answers to this question, but to what extent is like British capitalism just a particularly decayed, decadent, shit form of capitalism that you could only possibly get in, in one of the few metropolitan centres in the world system, right? Where so much of the population works in these fucking pointless offices that are just there to discipline the workforce and to return 
uh, investment to construction firms and landlords and stuff like that in these huge office blocks. And then around the office blocks, there's two dozen Costa Coffees and three dozen pret a and the fucking stinking Burger King that's full of jams. And eggs, uh, what you know, and Weatherspoons and all that kind of shit, right? I, I can't, like, I say I can't believe, I can believe just how central to, to, to the British economy that stuff is. Services, transport into the office, the profit that the office, you know, buildings themselves make for financial interests, landlords, construction firms, et cetera, et cetera. Like, it is a big bullshit circulation. Uh, I, I know that there's, like, this daft thing of, like, there's sometimes this belief that the only way an economy is a real economy is if it's like producing commodities, like widgets and cars and shit. But leave that kind of stuff aside. It's still fucking ludicrous just how important it was that we were all traveling from like our home environment, sitting at a laptop or a computer to an office environment, sitting at a laptop or computer. How much depended on that? How much depended on that commute of about... I don't know, 20 million kind of middle earners. You know, a middle and higher earners. So much was dependent on that shit. Yeah, um, yeah it just it seems feeble. God, that makes me feel really depressed. <laughs> just instantly really quite bummed out. It's also that just this kind of weird thing of like, when I think of the heroic phase of capitalism, I think of something like Fordism. And it's not heroic. Again, I'm like projecting qualities on it of row after row after row of conveyor belt. Do you know what I mean? Churning out disciplines, uh, soul-destroying uh, capitalist activity. Um, the image of, um, you know what I mean? All these tatty offices surrounded by a collection of um, chain pubs and cafes. That's the other, that's the other thing, like... Caffeine in the morning, booze when you clock off. Caffeine in the morning, booze when you clock off. That like chemical regulation of office labour is so important to yeah. British capitalism. Keep the people going with the stimulant in the day. Get them depressed at night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I, that is mad. I mean that that is not that is not the heroic phase of capitalism. Yeah, I mean, I find it absurd that you've got the business lobby doing the let's get people back to work, you know, to save the high street and the outlets on the commute and dry cleaners and all these sorts of things. Because the reality is, is that nothing's going to be the same. Like, we can't just put this back in the box. Do you know what I mean? And once this pandemic is over, this is going to become a fact of life. Yeah, the other thing is like uh, so many high streets are just going to be fucking dead, and it's and it's it's not even the it's not even the fact that people's shopping habits have changed. Like Amazon, as a as a fact of modern capitalism, has changed. Yeah, like the the scale of monopolization in um, the sale and transportation of goods, the retail sector, but but also like the warehousing sector, has totally changed the shape of the of the consumer economy. Yeah. But what I think Amazon as a huge monopoly shows is that you can actually have a planned economy in such mm. a way that doesn't suffer from the shortages of information that have plagued planned economies and led to shortages in the past. 
Like there is actually um, ways of having a high degree of economic planning where nobody would, you know, be in want. Um, that everybody could have a share. All of that is possible with the current technology that we have. Um, and Amazon shows that, do you know? Absolutely. And also, um, like, the, how responsive and effective distribution networks are. Yeah. Like, we live in a city where, in Greater Glasgow, something like a quarter of people are disabled, right? Uh, it's incredible uh, how effective those supply networks could be used to overcome access problems and stuff like that and solve all those problems. But you can see, you see what I mean. Um, I mean, do you know one of the, one of the companies which has uh, done the best out of crisis in the UK is farm foods because everyone's stocking up the freezers. So in the last couple of months, they've brought on like 3,000 more drivers like that, Three, a fleet of new vans and all that kind of shit to distribute frozen foods at high speed <laughs> uh, because people are preparing for the second wave. And for Brexit. Oh, I, oh yeah, of course. For <laughs> people are like, that's, I've had two people in the last week tell me to uh, get myself to the supermarket for some tins. Brexit. Uh, because Brexit's Brexit, back. It's back. It's back uh, after our long and welcome hiatus <laughs> it was nice to have a rest yeah uh because as soon as it came back i was like oh fuck like my my twitter account's gonna have to go back to sort of slagging the left off yeah it's gonna have to go full gammon again <laughs> <laughs> i mean so in the last week uh it's fucking nuts it is all of a sudden like nothing nothing else has happened in the last you know, nine months or whatever it's been, right? Um, so Boris Johnson said that he might, you know, change clauses in the Brexit agreement. And all, all of a sudden, everyone snapped right back. Everyone snapped right back to being a Romaniac or a Lever who just wants it over. Uh, that, that whole discourse was rapidly reanimated. And it found, this moment found the left with even less to say about the situation. I can't, I can't, be- well, I say I can't believe it, I can't believe it. Um, <laughs> of course I can believe it. Keir Starmer's in charge now, right? Yeah. So, I mean, Labour's not going to have a better position on this. Keir Starmer failed to say literally anything on Brexit until yesterday. Yesterday was his first public uh, pronounce- pronouncement on uh, anything really Brexit related. And his <laughs> message now is just get it done. Right, that's how terrified, obviously, of the issue he is. The SNP have gone from mad to totally bonkers, right? Uh, do you know, there's an easy line in journalism in Scotland for anyone who wants to point out repeatedly, week by week, how fucking mental the SNP's various contortions over economic policy are becoming. I say that as someone who actually fulfills that need. Right? <laughs> And it is fucking easy, right? Um, so the main one that I can think of is uh, old Mr. SNP councillor Freeports. Fuck me. So, right, after all that shit about, um, uh, you know, about how 
about the Tories and you know how they're going to introduce us to this kind of new free trade free free trade regime. It's not shit. I mean that that is real. That is what they plan to do. Deregulate and you know what we're going to end up with. Uh, Chlorinated uh, chicken. Chlorinated chicken and fucking green <laughs> milk or whatever it is, right? After all that, they go and sign up for the most insane Friedmanite, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. wild, wacky, ultra-free market position that the government's come up with at all in this entire period. Free ports. And they want to put one in Dundee. It's just fucking mental, man. I, I, and so this, this is the, so the local Dundee City Council and this is Yes City that's having this idea inflicted on them, by the way. Who's thinking up this shit? He, he is going along with, um, I think it's Fourth Ports who control trade. And Fourth, and they want to be one of these 10 free ports that the Tories are setting up around the UK. And Dundee City Council, following the well-trodden path of the SNP leadership uh, over these last few years, whatever business says is good is good. Right, you cannot fucking turn away fourth ports of all people um, around from this fucking crazy experimental, like right wing libertarian economic madness. Um, so on the one hand, free ports good, right? But I'll tell you what's not good: the Tory plans to use state aid to improve UK tech industry, right? So free ports, that's good. That's very good. Um, state aid, which might tear us out of alignment with the European Union, who have all kinds of controls on state aid, the use of state aid, that's bad. I mean, like, it's fucking crazy. Yeah, but I feel like there's a sense of um, that SNP or that we've known, come to know, um, especially over the term of the last parliament, like, I feel like the centre... like central command are losing their grip on Mm -hmm. a lot of their people like yes i I feel that there is a a kind of politicians at loads of levels activists at different levels are running away with themselves like as the the central command would see it like people run away from themselves deviating from the line i mean of course uh again uh, there was a beautiful spat between a uh, friend of the pod, George Kerevan, and our favourite SNP MP, Stuart MacDonald, over the Scottish Navy claims on Twitter. You know, there's a lot of this kind of people within the party openly disagreeing with each other, which isn't something that we've seen over the last parliament until really this this year, I would say, is the kind of peak of that. Mm-hmm. That's, that's an absence of leadership, right? So that's absolutely true. I mean, it would be interesting to be a fly on the wall in conversations now between Dundee City Council and uh, the Scottish Government. Like, I, I don't know what's going on there. At the same time as that was going on, so that Stuart McDonald was interesting because he went away to the UK Defence Journal where he was interviewed, uh, which is a you know like a uh, a pro, like an establishment, the establishment UK Defence Journal, and made all kinds of fucking nuts promises about what an independent Scotland would do in terms of defence policy, with wild projections about what kind of armaments we would use and all this kind of stuff. Unilaterally signed an independent Scotland up to all kinds of alliances, including mutual defence agreements with the European Union, which you wouldn't know to listen to any kind of ultra-remain type that we have 
mutual military agreements within as part of the European Union and which are connected to NATO, of course, as though those two things could ever be separated. Um, and there's this great bit in the interview for this, for the journal, where he says um, he's sort of enthusing about um, how, how tightly bound in members are to the mutual defence agreements in the European Union. And he says something like, they're even more binding than NATO. I love that. I love this enthusiasm. We're even more bound to do bad things. <laughs> it's, fucking, <laughs> it's fucking brilliant. This is amazing, right? I, I, I love that after the bombing of, of Libya by NATO. Yeah. Even more bound. Isn't it wonderful? We'll like have way no that? choice. Yeah. <laughs> no democracy at all. No sovereignty. You yeah. thought you, you thought you were bound into NATO craziness. Do you know what I mean? We've still got we're still sending kids to Afghanistan, right? You thought that was bad? Like you've got no idea. We're gonna, we're gonna have <laughs> no democracy at all. It's gonna be fucking great. Um, but also in that article, this is a weird one. Chris McElhaney who is the leader of uh, the SNP group in Inverclyde Council, and he's trying to replace some SNP hack, right, in the Scottish Parliament. He made, because he's also a former GMB activist, and I don't know if these things are related. He, in this, in the UK Defence Journal, made the first open kind of declaration, as far as I know, from an SNP figure, that we wouldn't get rid of Trident. Uh, immediately after independence, that we would hold on to it uh, until a solution could be found. I mean, this does not surprise me at all. Like, I think that there is a big school of thought um, within the the SNP, potentially within the, the wider um, pro-independence, I mean, not movement as such. I think there's still a very strong anti-Trident aspect to the movement, but you know, when it comes to the real politic, I think that, you know, people will be like, oh, well, you know, the sensible thing to do is to use it as a bargaining chip. Yeah, yeah. This like, is it's, it's, oh, no, no, what you don't understand is that it's, it's, a, it's leverage, you know, for us to get what we want from Westminster. Shut up, you bore, right? <laughs> like, I have had that sketch in my life so many times. Yeah, yeah I know. So years, years of, of the sage wisdom about how you can use your most sacred principles as bargaining chips. I mean, like... <laughs> That's gone really, really well in the yeah, past. I know. Um, but it's also like, I'm not taking any advice on negotiating from people who spent the last two years saying that any referendum should have a confirmatory referendum. Do you know what I mean? 100%. know fucking nothing about how to negotiate like the exit of a country from the UK. Yeah. Um, and, and by the way, all that stuff's starting to crop up now. So there are articles, I mean, um, Alistair Darling, for the last leader, of course, of um, Better Together, is now advocating this, well, you can have a referendum once we've agreed the deal, right? Which is very clever. Um, and I'm not saying that that's going to be the mainstream Tory policy. I think that the Tories, I imagine, have got another plain no in it. But um, I think if they're ever forced to concede another independence referendum, we're looking at that type of scenario. They're going to say, OK, you can have another referendum, but it's three options on the ballot because we settled independence. Or, OK, you can have an independence referendum, but there are X, Y, Z conditions that you leave under. 
and those conditions will be designed to make it fucking terrible. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So the SNP have already opened us up to the worst possible, basically leadership, I should say, have opened us up to the worst possible uh, negotiating hand. Uh, I'm not going to be won over by the genius suggestion that we prove to everyone in the independence movement that we don't believe in shit by suddenly, <laughs> suddenly deciding that um, it's good to use huge chunks of explosive nuclear material as bargaining chips. Well, I mean, or we could go down the route of the workers' bomb. The workers' bomb, oh, yeah. Speaking of the workers' bomb, though, I did get a coronavirus tweet uh, retweeted by the Workers' Party of Great Britain. Uh, They're more like the workers' rocket. <laughs> you know, there's an interesting thing about the Workers' Party of Great Britain slash George Galloway. You know, it should be like that. You know, like <laughs> Marxist-Leninist. Yeah, 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 that's what it is. It's just like GG. Yeah, yeah. The Workers' Party of Great Britain, GG. It saved me from my conscience, right? Mm -hmm. So one of the things we've wanted to do on this podcast for a while is read a politician's shit novel, right? Um, It's not Jeffrey Archer. It's not Jeffrey Archer. Um, And I thought I've got the fucking perfect one when I found out that George Galloway had written a novel, right? Now, David, I've got to ask you this. Is it a novel or is it a novelette? Well, so when, when, when Queensway by George Galloway arrived, right? I felt like a fucking dick, right? Here it is. Okay, and so you're holding this up, like for those of uh, for those uh, listeners who are not on YouTube, um, David is showing me the front cover of George Galloway Queensway, um, not a particularly. I'm not, I'm not drawn in as I literally judge this book by its cover. Yeah. So, so on the front cover is, I believe that's a famous photograph of Hitler and uh, his various lieutenants walking through Paris, occupied Paris. But, uh, aha, it's Big Ben in the background. It's, yeah. not, it's not the Eiffel Tower. So obviously, this is a novel on the completely original premise that Britain has been occupied by the Nazis because no one has ever done this before, right? Um, but when the book came in, I looked at the front cover, which is designed by George Galloway's wife, right? And it's a bit, you can't really see it here, but it's a bit grainy and so on, right? And I looked at how slim it was. <laughs> right? It's slim. It's slim, right? It's, it's, show, it's, it's us, um, of, show us the margins and the size of font. And as you can see here, the text oh, is... the text That's is, double spacing. It's, the text is very large. As, I mean, basically, it looks like, it's, you know what, do you know what, the text is bigger and the book is shorter than, like, young adult fiction. You know the Twilight books? They're denser than this. Do you know what I mean? Uh, like, something that's designed for a kind of teenager. <laughs> and it has that, I mean, this isn't so much 13 to 15 as sort of 9 to 12, right? Um... Now, see, this is the thing. And as soon as I started thinking all this kind of stuff, I thought, you know, I'm a fucking dick. Do you know what I mean? Because that, he, here's this lovely, this lovely old guy 
who's a World War II enthusiast, as many of his generation are, and he's written this little novella about the you know, occupation of Britain. And here I come in like, do you know what I mean? I'm like the worst sort of just PMC. So, oh, oh my God, is this your literary effort, George Galloway? Like a fucking dick, right? Um, and I don't and then... want... Well, <laughs> and I don't want people to think like, I, I want to make this clear. I'm going to read this book. I haven't read like, I haven't read Crime and Punishment. So before I get up on my high horse <laughs> about the literary fucking merits of George Galloway, I'm, I'm not... Like, I will die one day having not read most of the classics. And one of those classics won't have been read because I was reading Queensway by George Gallagher. <laughs> right? So I'm in no position to look down on anyone, right? Um, but then, George Galloway's <laughs> latest invasion into Scotland uh, mm-hmm. started to unravel itself. And I rapidly felt less sympathetic. I mean, uh, if anyone who is listening has not seen the workers party of great britain twitter then i fully recommend that you have a look i wouldn't say follow but i would say definitely definitely have a look they've got some quite weird and wonderful insights um i'm trying to find my favorite one which i I mean how would you i mean it's rapidly right wing um, yeah, it's, it's very really... anti-independence, um, which is to be expected. I mean, the their handles Alliance for Unity, isn't it? Alliance for Unity, yeah. So that's the thing they've set up in in Scotland. Yeah. It's a very it's a very strange. Setup. Their pinned tweet until very recently was something like SNP currency plans the gyro. <laughs> <laughs> so right you know obviously Galloway is like his strategy is he's like a communitarian so he goes into an area and he um you know he he tries to use uh local grievances amongst various communities um to advance his political position um I mean it's a complex one I don't know that there's ever no kind of political belief involved in it I'm I'm sure he genuinely opposed the Iraq war and the Afghanistan war and so on and so for a time this is a tactic that worked very well for him um, among large anti-war communities it has to be said but it is true that he did um, uh, appeal to uh, the um, uh, to, to Muslim communities and, 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 and so on and try and build a base around that and by the way I don't think that's a bad thing I don't think it's a bad thing that people appeal to quote unquote the Muslim vote as though that's a real thing and as though Muslim votes aren't as valuable as everyone else's vote, right? I think it's important to say that. I mean, it's a, in a sense, it's a more legitimate community than talking sp- about specific areas where people are completely transient, you know I mean, like, sins yeah. and things absolutely, like that. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. And I kind of resent this thing of every time, like, George Gallagher would win somewhere like Bradford, people like that, well, it was the Muslim vote that won, won it for him as though that means, well, therefore, it's bullshit. It's somehow invalid, I mean, nonsense. They live there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Then he came, if you remember, he came to Scotland about 10 years ago, not quite 10 years ago. Uh, and he tried to reconnect with a kind of Irish Catholic communitarian vote. And bear in mind as well, these votes partially only exist in George Galloway's mind, which was kind of borne out in that election. I remember he was sort of handing out leaflets that said hail, hail on them. Uh, and talked about his sort of, you know, how he had a Catholic upbringing and he was supported Celtic and all this kind of stuff. 
Um, that didn't work for him at all because he has lost organic roots in Scotland, uh, among that community, uh, which he does, of course, come from in Dundee. Um, so now, what's the sort of communitarian identity he sees himself as trying to attach himself to? Uh, it's the sort of unionist, Protestant vote, as, as he understands it in his mind. Which you could say is quite a turnaround, right? It's, I mean, it's definitely a, a flip. Yeah, I mean, a one um, so he's now appealing to a kind of cartoon, cartoonish vision of what that vote is in his mind, with stuff like that weird shit about how children in Scottish schools are being taught about um, anal sex and women. Which, you know, that word is not a word I ever wanted to hear from George Galloway. Anal sex, yeah. uh, they're being taught about anal sex and rimming through yes. the use of uh, Nutella. Nutella and uh, a banana. Bananas. Right. Um, I don't like, believe that. But he seems to think that there's this kind of, he's trying to connect with a kind of social conservative yeah. audience, right? His, the leader of Alliance for Unity is like a high Tory landlord from the borders. Is there not a woman that's like a real Islamophobe? I wouldn't be shocked. I think there is a candidate who had said some Islamophobe, which is just sad when you consider the, yeah, point, like, the profile he's built elsewhere. Like some of like the things that Galloway has done, I say, is like, you know, I do find him compelling, even if dislikable. Um, which I think you share, but the most important things he's done has ha, has been around like anti-imperialism. Do you know what I mean? And I, I think know. that that's to be respected. I mean, we were talking the other night about like actually anti-imperialism is the big dividing line for a lot of us on the left. Definitely, definitely. Um, and that's what Galloway should, if he's to be applauded for, is certainly his stance on that and his. Um, stances around Islamophobia and things like that so to, for him to end up in a political alliance with out and out racists is just it's fucking tatty and sad it's sadder than Queensway <laughs> yeah um yeah so yeah that 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 kind of cheered me up a bit I thought this is the lowest behavior I've ever seen from him do you know what I mean um but I mean the book is, I mean, I've read a couple of reviews of it and, you know, the literary merits are there. There are sex scenes. There's Tell me curious. that phrase again. What's the phrase he uses in the sex I, scenes? I understand that um, in one, in one uh, uh, scene, a woman, who I think is a Nazi secretary, <laughs> um, is deemed... <laughs> I can't even... I can't even. <laughs> is deemed only worth a bit of mouth relief. Mouth relief. <laughs> it's so, so awful. It's so awful. So I, I can't, I can't, uh, I can't wait. I can't wait to read it. I think it's also like, it's quite partridge-esque in some places. Like there'll be the juxtaposition of a horrible Nazi crime with a little joke. Do you know what I mean? The stuff like that in it. So, uh, yeah, and I'm, I'm looking forward to reading to reading Queensway. And what I didn't show you, and what people listening to the the podcast can't see, is um, this signature. 
Oh, it's a signed copy. Oh, that that it's first just, page is an absolute. <laughs> shows it again. Is what font is? <laughs> There's about ten different fonts on yeah. the front front page. Um, Definitely at least five different sizes of font, um, but it is a signed copy. It might be worth something one day. Yeah, I, I mean, I got this for four ninety nine um, from his website, so. Uh, or, or I think it was like an Amazon kind of like link to his website mm. or something like that. Um, uh, can I just there's, read the, a bit of the blurb, right? Please. So, um, June 1940, London has fallen. The Dunkirk, <laughs> <laughs> the Dunkirk evacuation has, has failed and only a few divisions have escaped. While 300,000 of their comrades remain trapped in France, there's already notes here of something that I've noticed flipping through the book. Pointless detail. This is a blurb. You don't need to mention divisions and hundreds of thousands of troops, right? But I, do you know what? I'm getting, I'm getting ahead of myself, right? Um, Brit uh, Britain's military command has betrayed the troops and the people, turning to Hitler and the Axis powers. Hmm. That's a bit spicy. A lightning invasion by, Jam by Germany has captured London and much of the south of England. Winston Churchill is missing. Winston Churchill is a hero of George Galley. Winston Churchill is missing, presumed dead, but the resistance is alive and, as he promised, will never surrender. This is Queensway, the first in a series of riveting and page-burning novels by George Galloway. Now, there Tell are, me about page-burning. There, there yeah, there are two possibilities here. Both One bad. Is, both bad. One is that this is a typo on the short blurb on the back of the book. And the other possibility is that this is a joke about Nazi book burning. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yes. What would you uh, prefer if you had to choose? Oh, the latter. If I thought, if I thought it was a feeble pun about, um, yeah, the Nazi book burning kind of rallies and stuff. I, I understand there is stuff like that in here, so yeah. I'll... I'm, I'll uh, we, we need to do a special edition. Yeah, I think so. I think yeah. so. Um, but we won't actually have a pod for another two weeks, so this is kind of... It's a stopgap pod, though, because we are planning some mystery guests, none of whom we're going to announce because we haven't confirmed them yet. But... Um, yeah, I mean, I, it, tweet us your guests, like your dream guests. You know, if listeners want to get in touch with us, suggesting that we invite someone on the pod. What I will say is David is aware of who my dream guest is to come on the pod. He's forgotten already. Oh, no, you mean the one, one we discussed last night? Oh, aye. That, that would, uh, yeah, that would, that would be interesting. Yeah, some hot guests on... Not necessarily people that we would agree with on everything, but definitely people that we could have a, a good, deep discussion with. Maybe we should get George on, except neither of us can contact him because we are blocked. Yeah, we're both blocked. Um, sad, sad. But I, I mean, would you? Would you have George Galloway on? Yeah. It would be really strange. Would you, I mean, I, would you not want to ask him, like... Definitely. I, I, what's, I, what's going on? I'd be interested, but I think I think what you'd find is it'd be a bit like one of his shows where he just shouts over you. Uh, I think we'd I think mm -hmm. we'd get yeah. shouted at a lot. But if we were doing it on Zoom, we could always mute him. 
Yeah, we need least be good entertainment value. We we need that the control of that button because he has it on his like radio shows and stuff. He's always muting, uh, you know, yeah. various to, yeah. to interject. So if we had that, yeah. Who is your dream guest, <laughs> George? Uh, um, I mean, I, this is the thing though. It, yeah, I, I I'm. It almost certainly wouldn't be someone I agree with on in politics. Yeah. Like I have no more questions to ask. <laughs> in many ways, like uh, people who with whom I kind of agree on a lot of stuff, um, it would be someone. I mean, I I often um, uh, I'm sad about the lack of like. There's not a right wing intellectual in Scotland. There isn't. I mean, mm. there isn't one. Mm. Um, I mean, uh, you could say there are Scottish intellectuals who've run away elsewhere. You know, Neil Ferguson, arguably, uh, you know, but like a lot, I mean, a lot of these people go to London or New York or, or uh, whatever, the famous Scottish brain drain. But there isn't a serious right-wing political thinker or force or, you know, even academic uh, no. in Scotland. It really is. It is There's a, no good adversaries. No. Like, that, I think they're quite depressing. There, there, there is a huge, huge area of liberal opinion, unreconstructed liberal opinion that spans the entire political spectrum in Scotland. We, we have a parliament with six liberal parties in it, yeah. um, with a few interesting personalities. Uh, so it's hard to say, it's hard to say. And I've kind of fucked up way, right? Even though the George Galloway carnival as it rolls into town is mental, I think part of the reason people get into it so much is because he has so much more personality <laughs> than Scottish politics, period. Um, which, you know, isn't there a good reason to, because he, he sometimes says that, he sometimes says, I mean, it liven the place up a bit, the Scottish Parliament, it would. Like, I mean, spot the lie. <laughs> yeah, it would. Um, and, you know, I mean, I mean, you could end up with the Parliament in 2021 with, Rev Stewart, because he still, yeah. I think, might run a party. George Galloway, um, you know, locking horns. But it will also lose some excellent characters. Yeah. Um, uh, Alex Neil yeah. is on the way out. Neil Finlay. Neil Finlay. Uh, Sandra White. It sounds like we're doing a sort of uh, a united so, front and cut rally. Yeah. <laughs> It sounds like we're announcing the lineup for an anti-cuts rally stuck at 2009. Exactly oh, yeah. what that sounds like. Yeah. And on the platform today we have, yeah. yeah. Um, Roll call. Yeah, so tweet us with um, any suggestions or, you know, feel free to DM. DMs are open, as they say. Uh, yeah, with suggestions for guests on the pod. Like we say, it doesn't have to necessarily be people that we agree with, but I think it would be interesting to explore some ideas. So I, and if I'm wrong, by the way, about there being no interesting right-wing thinkers in Scotland, please do uh, set me right so that yeah. we can have an argument with them. Yeah. Because that would be very interesting. Yeah. A political argument, not a personal argument. Because remember, the political is political. Oh yeah, and that's the tagline for this pod, and all of our pods forevermore. Indeed. Okay, so that's done. That is us. <laughs> <laughs>
Okay. Um, remember, you can hear all the episodes of ConnorCast um, on Spotify, iTunes. We've got some episodes on YouTube. You can find out more about the Connor Project at conter.co.uk. Um, anything else? That is all, I believe. I'm away for a little while, but that doesn't mean you can't. You're away on holiday, content. and I can I can tell that you've already sort of checked out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm already walking in the islands, yeah. Um, okay, well, see you in a couple of weeks. See you soon.